Great. All right. You got that? You can keep the lights up. So um, some of you are glad to talk to your spouse and find out what's going on, probably. So that's just sort of the way life is. So uh, uh, let's just start with something you're looking forward to uh, in the holidays. Anybody over here? Something you're looking forward to in the holidays? Family. Family? Okay. You're meeting your new niece. How sweet is that? Someone else. <laughs> Something you're looking forward to in the holidays. Thanking God for our lives through the holidays. That's right. And the worship experience. What else? Something you're thinking you're looking forward to. Helping others. Helping others. Great. Here. Well, I'm going through a process of getting some injections that hopefully will get rid of some of my pain. Oh. Well, that's cool. It's a, it's a word of prayer. All right, so injections that can get alleviate with pain. Something you're looking for for the holidays? Yes, <laughs> Levi. Um, uh, your family, all right, that's cool. There you go, you're out of retail, not having to work. Something you're looking forward to for the holidays? What do we got? Decorations, the festivities, all right. Some of you playing Christmas music already. Some of you over the top. Yeah, Joe's probably doing that. I know him. That's fine. Anybody else? Something you're looking forward to for the holidays? Visiting friends. Getting out of here, right? All right, so how about... What's that? Moving to a new church. Thank you very much. Teresa gets the prize. Do I have somebody give her a prize? <laughs> we trust by God's power, yes. So, what are you looking forward to next year? Now, you haven't even thought ahead for next year, but it's really around the corner. Remember the Thanksgiving uh, blitz all the way to a week on the other side of New Year's Day is like a big blur. So, you're needing to be thinking about that. So, what are you looking forward to next year? Slowing down. Slowing down. You sure you're going to be able to do that, Mike? All right. Something else you're looking forward to next year? A new job. Stepping in career. Praying for that. Somebody else. Seeing more people come to church and hopefully the audience. There you go. Seeing more people come to church and uh, the movement we have before us. Spiritual growth. Yeah. Front and center on your radar. Yeah. Uh, got plans? Anything? You just like Going look. To Going to Israel. There we go. That's great. <laughs> That's good. And any other things that you just want to vocalize saying yes? Driving. Driving. You get, oh, man, that's huge. That's huge. That's over the top, man. Get the license. We're in a different world now. That's cool. Yeah, you're looking forward to that, and your mama's going, oh, my goodness, I'm not looking forward to that now. <laughs> All right, anybody else you want to speak out on that one? Something you're looking forward to? Starting a business. That's great. That is so cool. <laughs> Growing a business. There you go. Honeymoon. Yep, there we go. And you guys just spread it out, don't you, Lori? You just spread it out. That's great. There, there. Yes, our faith would grow and grow. All right. So, do you like that exercise? We all need to have hope. 
We all need to have a vision that pulls us to our hope. You were designed by God to be called to the future, to aspire to things developing in your own life or opportunities you're gained. You all are called to have a vision. The Bible says that without a vision, people perish. And I believe it to be true. If your world has started to shrunk and it becomes more myopic, whether it's with fear or lack of opportunity or whatever it may be, your soul will shrivel up and die. But if you look to the horizon of what God has for you, for your family, for your extended friends, for your church family, hope arises when you have a vision. What is the vision that God wants you to walk into for your life? So many times we just fall into the existence. Let me get the next requirement done in my coursework. Let me just be able to, you know, provide for my family next week. May I just be able to uh, alleviate some pain in my physical well-being. But God has more than those things of daily, weekly, monthly responsibility. He has a vision for you and your life. You are made unique. And not only are you made unique, but we are made unique as a church family. And I believe God has vision for us to grab a hold of for the holidays, for next year, and the years beyond. But that vision, in my heart, is not a vision of location. It's not a vision of programs for the church. It's not a, a vision of any type of highlight personalities. The vision that God has placed before us is a vision of high calling to bring transformation to people's lives. So if I had to answer that question, what do I want for the holidays as well as for next year? Well, for the holidays, I'm looking forward to family time and some slowing down kind of experience and just enjoying uh, the season. But in the midst of that, I'm mindful that we got a big job before us relocation-wise as we look at the crossing from here to there and as we've been looking at in the book of Joshua and, uh, and relating to their promise. But this would be my vision for next year. More and more people becoming fully alive in Christ and to his mission. Have you ever had the close-up experience of seeing someone's life radically turned around that you knew? And not only that you knew, but that you had some influence and help with. There is nothing more exciting, I believe, than seeing somebody's life turned around and become quickened and enlivened by the Holy Spirit and for them to have fresh new vision for their life. There is brokenness and discouragement and anxiousness all around us. But when we're close up and we're able to see people who are dead come to life and to come to life not just for their own sake, but for the sake of the greater good of God's kingdom and what he's doing in this world, there's nothing better than that. And friends, we get to do this. We get to do this to see more and more people become fully alive in Christ and to our mission.
And so that's our vision, big picture for us as a church, how it plays out. There's nuances to it. There's dimensions and, and there's ways of looking at it and measuring it and, and valuing it and implementing it. But when you step back, that's what we get to do. And there is nothing that beats that, in my opinion. So once again, I devote what's coming up this holiday season and in 2019 to that purpose of more and more people becoming fully alive in Christ and to his mission. Now, the Israelites, when they had crossed the Jordan River and they seized occupancy of the promised land, they were experiencing a vision that had been set before them. If you come to the end of the book of Joshua, and this is our last Sunday on Joshua. Some of you are like, aw. Some of you are like, yay. So this is what you find from Joshua himself. He's 110 years old, and he's about to pass away, and he knows that, and he's articulating to the people. And so he says this in Joshua 24, 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, if you take the opportunity to read the latter part of Joshua and then begin to read the book of Judges, you'll find something very interesting. Joshua was a prophet. He sort of knew, maybe intuitively, some things that were going to happen. He was trying to rally them and say, look how far you've come. Look what God's done in our life as a people. He's giving reference there to beyond the Euphrates River because that's where God called Abraham from. And so all the way back to Abraham, how God called him there and then through Joseph and they end up in Egypt and they were enslaved in Egypt. And then in Egypt, God freed them with the miraculous miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. And then they wandered in the desert for 40 years because of their, their disobedience. And then they came up to the east side of the Jordan River, looking across the Jordan into the promised land, this vision, this land flowing with milk and honey that God had planned for them to have all along, finally, after all these years. And he says, look what God has done. He has been faithful to us. Now serve him with all faithfulness and throw away those, those petty little gods that your ancestors worshipped. We have the one true powerful God. Now, we may think, well, why, why would you want those little gods, the ancestors from beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt? Forget all that stuff. Of course, God. But friends, we wrestle with the same things today. And God would come to us and say, throw away all those things of lesser value, those gods, those things that we do, you know, we work at every day to try to maybe build or have a part of our life. Make sure, make sure that you serve the Lord God and his purposes. I find it interesting, though, he says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, all right, then you go, you just go your way, you choose. You choose this day whom you will serve. Or the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites. Those were gods that were in the promised land. You know, the Amorites and all the other ites that were in the promised land that they had to defeat. They had all kinds of gods and they had all kinds of pull to get people to worship their gods and not the one true God, Yahweh. 
But as for me, Joshua says, 110 years old, he says, me and my household, all of us, we're going to serve the Lord. You know, I'm anticipating uh, the move. So I'm looking around my office thinking, okay, what am I going to have to pack up a little bit? What do I want to chuck? What do I want to keep? Uh, I don't even know if I'm going to have an office in this new building, those kinds of things, right, uh, at the moment. Uh, this black has been up in my office since I came to this building, um, which was five years ago, uh, last Sunday, I realized, which is amazing. Um, and guess what verse is on here? Joshua 24, 15. <laughs> Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Front and center. So who are you going to serve? The gods of our world or the Lord God Almighty? And it's just not worship Him. It's serve Him. Because this is the vision for your future that will bring the fulfillment. Not all the other little gods this world offers up. Choose for you and your household whom you will serve. You know, we've had a lot of uh, scenes on the television this week that are very, very disheartening. Because there's households that have literally gone up in flames as it relates to the physical structure of the home. Some beautiful, beautiful homes. And so now as they get in and, and they're starting to look through the ruins, uh, they're bringing the cameras in. And inevitably when they bring the cameras in, you're showing individuals who have walked into what used to be their house, into powdered ashes, and they're digging through the rubble, trying to find something of significance and value. Not only do our hearts go out to those people, some of you may have relatives. I, I spent the week not only at Fuller Seminary, but staying at my son's house, his, his condo in Van Nuys. And uh, when I went to class, uh, was it on Friday, I guess, uh, I drove by the Griffith fire, which was a little fire that ended up getting put out, thankfully, where they had to move the zoo animals, some and that kind of thing. But just a little further west from the Van Nuys area is where the big Malibu uh, fires were happening. And so you could see that. And so my son, Ryan, who works at NBC Universal, he says, Dad, so many people have been affected by this and connections to work with. So, so maybe you have some connections of people that are walking through ruins. And sometimes you wonder, will things ever come back from such um, deathly fire? Or how can God ever bring any good? We just sang about God is good, God is good. And you're like, yeah, really? Could you sing that this morning if you just had your house and all your belongings destroyed? You know, up and I think it's the campfire or whatever that they're calling up uh, north in Paradise, California. You're aware of that one? That's where several people have died um, the whole town was basically consumed with flames. One of the stronger Christian Missionary Alliance churches is in paradise. And um, they were extremely concerned about it. Notice went out to pray for it. And somehow, by God's grace, the fire went around the Alliance church that's in paradise. And this morning, I'm sure that they're gathered and working to be able to extend ministry to a broken community such as that. 
serving the purposes of the Lord. But how does good ever come about when there's fire and there's destruction? Well, I believe that God can take ruins and ashes of our life and be able to make beautiful things out of them. And some of you witnessed that. That will be our passion as we step into our relocation effort. But sometimes I've driven past where there's been fires before after maybe a year, and you wonder, where was the fire? Because what happens when things are burned down? They're built back up. Sometimes houses are built back up. I went through Joplin, Missouri a number of years ago, like within a few days after a um, F5 tornado that was a mile wide whipped, ripped through the whole town and tore it down. When I travel back to the Midwest now, I've gone off the jaunt, and I'm like, where was all that devastation? It's been rebuilt. For countrysides, for hillsides, like those hills that are in fire in that picture, you know, there is a process by which the burning down will bring back restoration of uh, plants and foliage that was not possible before. That is, if it ever rains here again. <laughs> but there's something really tragic about devastation and loss that I believe God loves to do to bring about beauty. And if our passion is to see more and more people become fully alive in Christ and to his mission, then I need to tell you something, that there's something that goes before becoming fully alive. And whether that's uh, with a non-believer or a believer, I believe that there's death that has to happen. And we don't like to talk about it too much. I saw a, a clip from um, a video from Francis Chan this week, and he was expounding on the two biggest lies in our world today. Do you know what the two biggest lies in our world today, according to him, he's a very good uh, communicator of the gospel of Christ. He says the first lie is that all people are good. <laughs> he says we're not good. We've all sinned. There is no one righteous, not even one. In our world, just everybody's good. Everybody's good. Well, Scripture, it's not true of that. We're made in the image of God. We've got the beauty of God in us, and we can be alive in that kind of thing. But left into ourself and our own sinful nature, there is not goodness in mankind like it likes to be propagated. And his other lie, he said, is that uh, our world just says because there is goodness in everybody, then everybody goes to heaven. Well, heaven is a perfect place. There is no ability for you or I to be in heaven because we are imperfect. The moment you would step inside of heaven, you have now ruined it. Thanks a lot. So we as sinful beings have to be redeemed. We have to change. And when it comes to becoming fully alive in Christ, we have to reckon with this reality that we have to repent and die and move towards Christ. But it's not just at the point of salvation. I believe that there are deeper places that we have to die in order to become fully alive. And God will bring beauty out of the ashes, but it scares us to death to have the fire go over our life and have us crushed and have God burn some of the impurities out. 
And so we just like to post nice things on Facebook and social media and Instagram because look at my pretty life. When the reality is behind the scenes, it's not pretty at all. And so transparency is like one of the biggest needs for us in our world today. And I trust this body continues to be transparent because through transparency, we can talk about the beauty of God taking ashes and making new life. And so I need to change a little bit of some of my thinking, at least for today, as it relates to the scripture I want us to look at. Becoming fully alive in Christ arises out of holy dying to self. And that's a little heavier subject than vision. What's for next holiday season? What's for next year? Let's go at it. Well, could it be that some of the vision for your life has to come from some of the rubble that you're currently in? Don't get discouraged and don't... Don't hesitate to allow God's consuming fire to consume some things in your life because through that consuming, out of that, dying wholly to self will arise full aliveness in Christ. The people that I am just so struck by in life as they get older are those, it's not that they don't give a rip about anything, it's just that they've realized that belongings disappear. Fame is fleeting. Notoriety and prestige among your peers will come and go. But the thing that lasts forever is the power and the beauty of a relationship with Jesus Christ where you're fully alive and knowing him and the intimacy with him and you're serving his purposes and his kingdom, not only in this day and age, but for all eternity. Those people amaze me because they don't seem to to be impacted as deeply by some of the things for me that would just be crushing, crushing. Becoming fully alive arises out of wholly dying to self. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16, 24. Picture yourself walking with Jesus. Hey, high five. How's it going? Man, you're going to be a great rabbi, man. We got some pretty cool things coming. Some people say I'm the Messiah. This is going to be a great journey. And then he turns to them and he says, but uh, you need to know something. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Here's our challenge as we move forward as a church. Our challenge is not to propagate consumer Christianity. We are going to have a great strategic place. We have programs and other opportunities and vision through this. There's going to be excitement. I want us to up the ante in many ways without question. But we cannot be about producing consumer Christians. What do I get? Oh, look at me. We have to produce, if I can say that, Christians who are fully alive in Christ. And if we're going to produce fully alive in Christ Christians, then we have to be able to produce people that are wholly dying to self. Here's the beauty of it. If you were to be with Jesus... The ambiance, the aura, the environment of his space was so attractive to people because he wasn't caught up in the pursuit of gods of this world. He was caught up in serving the purposes of God the Father. He was humble. Yeah, he had an edge to him at times concerning the kingdom, no doubt about it. We've talked about that, the hard teachings of Jesus, all that. But there was something so attractive and magnetic about Jesus 
Because he was the kind of person you'd always want to be. He's the kind of person you'd always want to, the type of individual you always want to marry. He was the type of kid that you would always want to raise. He was perfection. He was God in the flesh. And we get to celebrate that as we head into Christmas season. God incarnate coming in the flesh. And here he was. And he was making disciples and he's making disciples. He's just simply saying this. Hey, you want to come after me? Then you got to take up your cross. And the cross meant one thing for those folks. It meant dying. You want to follow me? You got to die. You want to save your life? Then you got to lose it. But if you're out there just trying to save your life and collect things and serve all these other gods, you're going to lose it. We have a very clear mandate from the gospel. And that gospel is to call people into intimacy with Jesus Christ, for them to have the forgiveness of their sins, for them to become fully alive and serve Him and His purposes. But in that calling is a calling to death and a calling to ashes. And if we're going to call other people to that, then we have to reckon with it as a church that God is working this out in each of our own lives, including mine. Trust me, in this relocation journey, there has been some multiple deaths I've had to go through in my soul. They're just tasks. And I'm just having to come back, circle time and again. Not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. But I trust as God's moving me through these years, you know, I've you know, been, been a believer and a follower of Jesus for a number of years now. I mean, I, it was sort of weird that I was back on Fuller's campus because I started that program. I got an award for it, by the way. There was 18 of us in the class. I got an award for being in the program the longest. <laughs> I tried to start getting my doctor of ministry degree in January of 1989. I'm pretty sure half the class wasn't even alive then. (laughs) But in that class in January of 89, I sat on the back row with a guy I didn't know anything about. His name was Rick Warren of Saddleback Church. He was getting his doctorate of ministry. And uh, he encouraged me concerning my heart for revival and waking up dead churches that it might be easier to give birth than raise the dead. And I took that God word through Rick Warren back to the Midwest, and I spent the next 20 years of my life living out the 100-page paper I wrote for that class on church revival and evangelism. But it's interesting to walk around campus was reflective because I remember 1989 Sort of like it was a few months ago. But the reality was what? It'll be 30 years ago in January. And then it was five years ago I was coming through to visit our son and I had just transitioned from our prior church location, which was a hard transition. And I remember walking around that campus with my son, Ryan, and he was quite frustrated with what had happened to us as a family at that church. And... um but I was trying to speak God's grace and actually was talking to my district superintendent walking around that campus for some reason. And I remember that hard, hard call and there was a statue of Jesus laying down carrying the cross that I remember gathering over and I said, that's what's happening to me right now. There's death. There's death happening with a vision that I thought I was called to bring to fruition in the Midwest. But God said, it's not right it's okay. I release you. Let me replant you with another body of people 
and a location that you can be around some family and you don't have to endure 20 degree temperatures like the wind west is today. <laughs> There's a dying to self that needs to happen for us to become fully alive. What is God calling you to die to? This is the last time you'll see this map. You've seen it every day for 10 weeks. When the Israelites crossed from the east to the west, they had to conquer different kings in each of those cities. We went through all of those as we capsulated last week, but you know that's not all the kings. That's not all the kings in the promised land that they had to defeat. And, and even when Joseph died, he says, there's still others you need to defeat. And don't, don't disobey. You need to go clear those places out because their gods and their influence will end up corrupting you in your pursuit of God. And that's exactly what happened in the book of Judges. They left strongholds, if you will. He says this. It says this in Joshua 12. Here is the list of the kings of the land that Joshua and the Israelites conquered on the west side of the Jordan. And then it lists all the kings. I'm not going to go through those because I'd hack most of their names anyway. But then it sums it up in verse 24. 31 kings in all. A.B. Simpson, who founded the Christian Missionary Alliance, he gave reference to these 31 kings. And he says... There's really 31 kings that have to be defeated in our own life too. They're not kings of a physical domain, but they're kings of the spirit domain of our heart. And he wrote an article many, many years ago called The 31 Kings of Self. And so if you turn to the back of your program, you'll find that. I decided to list them there. The great conflict of the higher Christian life is not a conflict from the grosser forms of sins we leave than behind when we cross the Jordan and come into the land of holiness, obedience, and rest. But there are other foes, more subtle, and these can be symbolized by these kings with whom Joshua made war so long. There are various forms of self-life which, while not perhaps directly and willfully sinful in the grosser sense, are yet as contrary to the will of God and as necessary to be subdued and slain before the soul can be in perfect harmony with the divine will. They are all tyrants which, if allowed to remain, will ultimately bring us into subjection to sin and separate us from the Lord. I find his analogy of it classic. I've carried with me for many years this understanding that we arrive in a promised land, our vision for what our future holds. And when we're there, we realize there's some enemies. But to possess the promised land that all God has, we have to defeat the enemies and realize there's tyrants at loose. Oh, they may not be blatant sins, but they're issues of the undercurrent of the soul that pull us in directions that can end up becoming sinful if we're not mindful of them. And he calls them the 31 kings of self. And just as surely as Israel conquered the west side of the Jordan and all those 31 kings there, surely we need to be mindful in our day and age, this holiday season, next year, that there are kings of self that have to come to death. Not because it's great to focus on the death, but through the ruins of holy dying to self, we become fully alive in Christ. And that needs to stay true to our gospel message for us as a body. Because I don't want consumer Christianity. I want authentic, power-filled, spirit-led disciples of Jesus in our future. And so we have a message and we have a ministry 
that's dear to us, but it is challenging. I'm not going to go through all 31. I have a handout in the back if you'd like to read through this article that A.B. Simpson wrote in the 31, but I would like to just mention a few. Self-will. This expresses its decree in the personal pronoun and the active verb, I will, I shall. It recognizes no king but its own imperative choice. Self-will must be slain before love can reign. The will thus surrendered becomes a stronger will because it is henceforth not our will but his within us. And when we choose, we choose with the strength of God and choose forever. Have we yielded our will and received his in return? The king of self-seeking. Love seeketh not her own. Her object is not to accomplish some personal end, but to benefit another and to glorify God. The great business of the people of this world is to seek their own ends and pleasures. But a consecrated life has but one purpose, to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then to rest in His will, knowing that all these things shall be added. Remember, they were supposed to consecrate themselves, for tomorrow God's going to do amazing things among us. Another king is self-glorifying. The converse of self-complacency, it seeks the praise of others. Self-glorifying inflates its little bubble because it's so small. It is the lack of real greatness that makes the society butterfly eager eager to attract attention. The truly consecrated life is conscious of its nothingness and knows that it is dependent on God alone for all it can ever possess. And therefore it hides in his bosom saying, not I, but Christ that lives in me. Self-confidence. This king is a form of self-life which relies upon its own wisdom, strength, and righteousness. It is Simon Peter saying, Though all men shall deny thee, yet will I not. This person believes in his own opinion. He laughs at the people who talk about the Spirit's leadings. This must die before we can become established in the strength of Christ. Therefore, the strongest natures have often to fail in order to bring them to the end of themselves and lead them, like Peter, to lean on God about the king of self-appreciation. Closely allied to the self-importance and just as bad, it keeps its victims from useful service. If called upon to do some service, it will refuse on the ground of inability. This is all self. A truly surrendered heart hasn't gotten any ability to work. And if Christ wants to send it, he must equip it and supply it with all necessary resources. Therefore, it goes unquestioning, and fully assured because all of its strength must come from God. This is one that I've struggled with for years. Self-vindication. The self that stands for its own rights and avenges its wrongs. It is quick to detect an injury or an offense. This is a very respectable but a very real form of selfishness. It is directly contrary to the spirit of Christianity and the Lord Jesus Christ. The very idea of his incarnation was the renunciation of all his rights. Being in the form of God, he was entitled to be equal with God. But we are told he did not count this a prize. But he emptied himself and made himself of no reputation. You have not begun to deal with the question of self-surrender until it reaches your dearest rights and you let them go in his hand. He will pay you back some of it in this world, but how much more in the day of eternal recompense, self-vindication. A couple more. This is the root 
of all forms of the self-life, the king of self-love. It is a heart centered upon itself, and so long as it is the case, every affection and every power of our being is turned inward and selfward and the whole character distorted. God, who is the type of all true being, is essentially love and lives not for himself but for others. And when we become self-centered, we seek to assume God's throne and become gods unto ourselves. It is the ruin and the perversion of the soul to love and to live for itself. And then self-affections. Such are the natural fruits of self-life. Even the people we love, we love not so much for the blessing that we can be to them as for the pleasure that they minister to us. Love that terminates on ourselves is selfish and degrading. Love that seeks another's blessing is elevating and divine. Friends, that's just eight of the first 15. There's some soul work there for me. How about you? But out of those ashes can come a life that is fully alive in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Colossians 1.27, Christ in you is the ultimate hope of glory. Becoming fully alive in Christ arises out of holy dying to self. I don't know why I was burdened to be able to share this in the conclusion other than I knew that the 31 kings of self came from Joshua's journey of seizing the vision of the promised land. And I believe it's true in my own life and for us as a body and for those we want to reach. I went and pulled out A.B. Simpson's track and at the end of it there was a poem he had written and I forgot that I knew the poem or at least I used to and when I read through it it came quickly back there is a foe whose hidden power the Christian well may fear more subtle far than inbred sin and to the heart more dear it is the power of selfishness it is the willful eye And if ever my Lord can live in me, this very self must die. Oh, save me from self-will, dear Lord, which stills thy sacred throne. Let my will be lost in thine, and let thy will be done alone. Oh, keep me from self-confidence and self-sufficiency. Let me exchange my strength for thine, and lean alone on thee. Oh, save me from self-seeking, Lord. May I not be my own. A living sacrifice I come. Lord, keep me thine alone. From proud vain glory save me, Lord, from pride of praise or fame. To Christ be all the glory given, the glory to his name. O Jesus, slay the self in me by thy consuming breath. Show me thy heart, thy wounds, thy shame, and love my soul to death. When the Shekinah flame came down, even Moses could not say, so let thy glory fill me now and self forever slay. Oh, Jesus, 
come and dwell in me. Walk in my steps each day. Live in my life, love in my love, and speak in all that I say. Think in my thoughts, let all my acts, thy actions be. So shall it be no longer I, but Christ that lives in me. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we ask this morning that through your spirit, you would speak the rightful word to us to die to self and to live for Christ. Lord, I don't know who's in a body this morning and how you're wrestling with them, whether it's one of the 33 kings of self or whether it's just the idea of laying down their personal life, repenting and turning to Christ for the first time. But Lord, we thank you for your pursuit of us we thank you for the power through the cross and the resurrection by which we can see that which is wholly ruined come alive. And so, Lord, I pray with heads bowed and eyes closed around this room that you would speak clearly to any individual who is wrestling with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And Lord, may they die to that self-aspects that's keeping them from experiencing the vision of the promised land flowing with milk and honey. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace. May you lead us as a church with a powerful, transforming gospel that doesn't lead people into consumer Christianity, but leads them into sold-out discipleship for Jesus Christ. And Lord, may it not be done with arrogance on our part, but may it be done with the aroma of Jesus himself. So Lord, work your amazing grace still in our lives as we die to self to live for you. Oh Jesus, come and slay the self in me by thy consuming breath. Lord Jesus, dwell in me. Walk in my steps each day. In your name we pray, amen. As we close with this song, may you worship in the beauty of God's grace who came to make you fully alive in Christ. The ushers will receive the Lord's tithes and offerings in your connect cards at this time. Amen.